Well, hey, everybody, how are you? Everybody all right? Do you know something? It's so great to be here, and I want to thank your pastors. I've known your pastors since high school. Isn't that crazy? Now, I know we all don't look it, but we look pretty good, pretty darn good. Eh? Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. And so I'll just stick that here for now. And so I'm just very, very honored to be here and to fill in for them. And uh, when they called yesterday and said, hey, we're just under the weather, would you uh, help us out? I was like, sure, that'd be great. So I'm very grateful to be here, known them, and then, you know, obviously the Wittens, and then Dwight, who was on drums. I hadn't seen Dwight in 25 years. And so uh, we grew up, we had mutual friends and uh, stuff together. So it's great to be here today. Do you know something? I know that your pastors love their people. I know your pastors love you. Not because they've told you, not because the greeters at the front welcomed you so nicely or the great worship that was here. Do you know, I know when a church loves people, it's because of this. I walked into the bathroom to use the bathroom and there was a bottle of cream in the bathroom. And there is no greater expression of love going into a church when you're Guyanese and German in the beginning of winter, when you're ashy and when you're chapped and you got to layer it on. And it ain't dollar store cream. It is Renew Malaluca cream. I was like, yo, I feel like I am in the better than the Hilton today. This is how I know your pastors love brown, black, ethnic, anybody people because you got cream. Do you know how many churches I've been into? There ain't no cream. And they got black, brown, and ethnic people in their church. I'm like, you don't love your people because that commercial soap is more destructive than a flu. I'm telling you. No, no, I'm, 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 no, I'm just not. No, I know your, parent, your, your pastors love you, but I was even more grateful when I walked in and went, man, that ain't cheap cream. That ain't cheap cream. Come on, help me out here. You know what it's like. You cream before service, in the middle of service, and you're still ashy at the end of service. You know what I mean? Especially in the winter. I'm sorry, brown people, dry skin people, problems in the winter. But uh, I'm so grateful to be here. For those that are watching online as well, we're just uh, uh, so thrilled that, that you can join us from anywhere. Do you know something? I'm excited to be here for a number of reasons, not just because of the relationship that I have with your pastors and, you know, their team and uh, Pastor Samuel and Jared and Pastor Norma and others that are here. Like, I'm just grateful because I really believe that God desires to do a new thing in this season. And four months ago, I made a big jump of faith where I transitioned out of full-time pastoral ministry to work with Alpha. You can see it here. How many of you know Alpha again? Alpha? All right. For those of you that don't know Alpha, let me just say this. Alpha is one of the largest global evangelism organizations in the world. We go in and we equip and we empower churches to do the work of evangelism. But here's the deal. People outside the four walls of the church, when they hear the word evangelism, they get scared. Because you don't know why? They think you're coming to convert them. Absolutely. New studies and statistics. People are like, yo, I'm a Christian. Can I tell you about Jesus? Can I evangelize you? And people are like, whoa, hold on a second here. Evangelism. And guess what? People inside the church, it scares them too. Because they're like, isn't evangelism reserved for the pastor or the evangelist or the prophet or the apostle or the teacher? That surely ain't for me. Even though scripture does tell us that we are to do a work of an evangelist. See, we are bearers of good news. Do you believe that? 
if you've experienced Jesus and if you have a relationship with him, you've encountered hope, you are a bearer of good news. But the problem is the word evangelism outside the church scares people and inside the church, people just get all flustered because they're like, what do I say? I don't know what to say. I don't know how to do it. Well, the beautiful thing about, evangel- about Alpha is you get to boldly invite people to have a conversation about life and purpose and Jesus. Is that difficult? You've invited friends out for a meal. You've invited friends out to your house for Christmas or a birthday party or a baby shower or different things. All of us know how to invite people to something. Well, Alpha is an invitation to have a conversation over a meal to talk about Jesus in a safe place where their lives can be changed. The reality is, is that a lot of people are looking for hope today. They are. And one of the things that we've not done well in the church is we've preached to people. Now, preaching is not a bad thing. I like preaching. I like speaking. But the problem is, is we've done more pushing than we've done pulling. And let me say this. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5, it says this. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but the one who has insight draws them out. Actually, in the New King James, it says, counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. I don't think we've asked enough good questions to draw out where people are at. Would you agree? We just assume where people are at, not understanding that they are already either at a point of a faith journey at the beginning, uh, two way, you know, two thirds in, halfway or three quarters in, maybe they're not even there. But if we ask the right questions and we build authentic and genuine relationships with people, we could draw out what is there. I've discovered that people who don't go to church are smarter than us. Well, I don't know why, because they can smell our intention a mile away. It's true. They know when you're out to proselyte. When I say proselyte, try to convert them. But when you're out to build authentic relationship, to just love them for who they are, where they're at, and just love on people, whether it's in your workplace, in your neighborhood, whether it's at the gas station or at the grocery store, whatever it might be, we need to genuinely just be kind and love people. When I took on Alpha and started to pioneer it in our youth, in our young adult ministry about seven years ago, six years ago in our church, I was looking to change culture from our students. Number one, our students were afraid to share their faith, even though many of them have grown up in church their whole life. We're scared because they just didn't know how to really, uh, you know, Share their faith. And that's sad to say because that's on, that's on us as the church. You come through Sunday school or children's church or different things. And yes, the stories are resonating and lives are being changed. But the most powerful part of being a believer is being able to share what you've experienced. So sharing your story, how you've encountered Jesus, how he's, in cha- how he's changed your life is the most powerful way. And when we started this culture shift in our youth and our young adult ministry to start and even in our church, it took time to begin to shift things because we push more than we pull. Somebody say we push more than we pull. 
So when we be, uh, begin to develop authentic relationship and we begin to really see people the way that Jesus sees them, we begin to understand that in the busyness of life, building community is absolutely crucial. I know from your pastors, they've talked to you about the importance of community, about coming together and church. And I love coming together, but how about the street that God placed you on or in the building that you're living in or in the complex that God's placed you? How about in the workplace that you're at or wherever you're working, you're not there just to collect a paycheck or to live in a house and have your uh, property values increase because Toronto is crazy when it comes to living and then go move out to Alberta where houses are like $400,000. Believe it, $400,000. Can you believe that? Anyways, you're not there just to live and exist or to work and collect a paycheck. You are there on assignment to, to, to touch people's lives, to impact them. Jesus inside us either repels people or it pulls people in. And I believe that there is more people that it's pulling in. We just need to be more sensitive and cognizant to what the Holy Spirit is doing. We say at Alpha that all we're doing is coming alongside and joining a conversation that the Holy Spirit is already having with people. I was talking with one of the, uh, the uh, I have a family member that's visiting us from, from out of town and they're not a Christian, so they're staying at our house. And yesterday I had the opportunity, uh, she says to me, so Jason, what do you do with Alpha? And I thought, wow, she asked the question. I'm gonna tell her all about Alpha. Not a Christian, never grew up in the church, doesn't go to church, questionable in faith. And do you know something? By the end of the conversation, she says to me, she goes, I could do Alpha. Because it's inviting people into a safe place to have a conversation about just life. We need people, you know, we need you to build a relationship with your neighbors and your coworkers and all those people. Do you want to know why? Because the majority of them, I know there's a few that don't like you, but that's okay. Not everyone's going to like you. But the majority of people like you and trust you and feel safe with you. So when you extend a bold invitation to come to Alpha, to be a part of a conversation over a meal, watch a video, and talk about open-ended questions about what that video was all about, they feel safe because you invited them and they trust you and you're there. You've not pushed, you've pulled. And the questions pull. So I want to encourage you. You know, and I'm not against street preaching and preaching and telling people about Jesus, but I think if we begin to ask more questions of how people are doing, how was your week, how was your day, what's going on in your life, we begin to pull out what really is going on that opens up an opportunity to say, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? You know, can I just share something that I was reading today in the Bible that gave me a little bit of hope? Can I just maybe send you a text message just to give you a little bit of hope for the day? We find out where people are at and then we have the freedom to care, to pray, and to just genuinely love them about wherever they're at in life. And then we invite them to a space that they feel safe because you're there. And then they get to connect the dots about why good things happen to bad people, why tragedy has happened in their family and in their lives. And Alpha begins to connect the dots for people one by one by one, by one. And exciting news, uh, just in 2021, in Canada alone, just so you know, over 25 million people in the world have taken Alpha since its inception. Now, it really took off in the 90s, but in Canada, we have over a million people. But in 2021, 85,176 people heard the good news of Jesus through Alpha, and 26,540 people began a restored relationship with Jesus isn't that incredible? Let me tell you something. When you know how to invite, ask questions, 
and just get bold about it to, be, to invite people to a safe place about Jesus. You don't, need to do, you don't need to answer all the questions they have. We don't have all the answers. Let's just be honest, we don't. But when they encounter the work of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit touches their life, woo, there's only stuff that the Holy Spirit can do that we can't do. But we have a part to play in that. So I'm very excited today because as uh, I'm, I'm not here to talk to you or preach to you about Alpha, but I'm here to invite you to be a part of something that Jesus was doing back in his time. And I believe he's still doing today. And it's an invitation for you to join me on a journey to change someone's life. Somebody say you are a miracle. You are somebody's miracle. So this passage that I'm going to preach to you today, I've actually preached. This is the eighth time I've actually preached this passage Four different times, four different topics. The first time it was called Don't Follow the Mob. Because I couldn't believe why a group of disciples, a group of young men and women, would follow Jesus, putting their lives in danger every single day for a rabbi that they really weren't sure of and understood who he completely was. you got to understand when Jesus went out and started talking to people, they wanted to push him off a cliff. I don't know about you, but when the crowd is coming around you after you've preached something and they're about to push you off a cliff and I'm a disciple, I'm, I'm, I'm checking out. I'm going somewhere safe. Because if they're going to push him off a cliff, maybe they're going to push me off a cliff as well. You know, Jesus in the book of John said to the crowd, he says, if you don't eat of my body and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. Y'all don't understand that was some crazy stuff that Jesus was saying back then. That almost got him killed. The masses left Jesus. Every day, their lives were in danger as a result of following this rabbi and this Messiah who they thought, who, uh, who they thought was politically going to establish a kingdom on earth to help relieve the oppression of the Romans. They didn't know who he was. Come on, the night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas, they all booked it. Can you imagine walking with Jesus for three years and thinking like, hey, Jesus is the guy. He's going to overthrow the Romans. He's going to be the king. And, you know, just so you know, it was over 500 people that came to, uh, you know, to arrest Jesus. Over 500. So when we look at, you know, the stories, it's just not just a few coming. 500. I'd book it too if I were the disciples. Because if they're going to arrest him, they're going to arrest me too. And it intrigues me why they continue to follow Jesus and not follow the mob. I was speaking at a couple conferences very recently, and I spoke on this passage called Jesus the Racist. Because you know something, the church hasn't done a very good job addressing the issue of racism and discrimination in the church. The church missed it when it came to George Floyd. Come on, regardless of your opinion, I was just with a pastor just a couple weeks ago. And, you know, I was with a white pastor and he, and, and he says to me, he goes, you know, we only had a couple hundred people leave our church because I wasn't willing to address the whole George Floyd situation. Why is it we're making criminals heroes? And I said to the pastor, I said, pastor, it wasn't an issue of a hero becoming or a criminal becoming a hero. I said, we saw someone murdered on live TV. And then we saw millions of people take the streets calling for justice and the church was silent. Now, I wasn't that passionate with him. I had to tone it down a little bit because I'm very passionate about this. I said we had young people protesting on the streets. We had people calling for justice and the church was sitting back. Not all church, not your church, just going crickets. 
Why we had an opportunity to slide right in and go, hey, can we tell you how Jesus addressed culture? Can we tell you how the church addressed culture and led things? When we had all of our young people following this influencer and that influencer and that organization, we missed it. But would Jesus say racist? Hmm. And then last week I was speaking this message at a, a church where Pastor Brendan and Sharon are good friends with Pastor Dishan over at Next Level. You represent, they were doing a series on evangelism, and today I'm going to be talking to you about you are somebody's miracle. And today we need to understand some things that everything that Jesus did, every interaction, every conversation, every story that is recorded in Scripture is to help us learn something if we are not just a follower, but if we are a disciple of Jesus. So if you would turn into your Bible to Matthew chapter 15, I want to read this passage for you, and I want to break this down. This is an intriguing and captivating story that was very confusing for many years. And let me just say this, as you're turning on your Bible or turning, so out of George Floyd, I started an online ministry on Instagram called The Culture Changers, where I began to host online conversations uh, directed towards millennials in the unchurched to talk about things that we don't talk about in the church. Because I believe that we need to reestablish hope, encouragement, and remove uh, you know, disappointment and discouragement and disillusionment from a generation that's walked out of the church because we're not willing to address the difficult things. We've got to talk about things that is happening in culture, all the way from gender, all the way from racism, all the way to not, not necessarily politics. We do need to have godly people in politics and, uh, you know, rise up in our uh, country. And we do need to address policies and bylaws that are anti-biblical, but we don't need to do it with a sword. We need to do it through prayer. We need to do it through fasting. We need to do it through love. And we need to do it through the preaching and the truth of God's word. We've got to address these things. So when we look at this passage here, so when I started the culture changers, let me just say that it started on as, a, as an online platform to have conversations with young adults. If you like, follow us at the culture changers, that's fine. But I'm so glad that Pastor Sharon is one of our board of directors. This year we launched our website. We uh, launched it as a nonprofit organization. Paperwork is going in to become a charitable organization because we are going full steam ahead because the church needs to be equipped on how to engage culture better. Silence is not good enough, Right? Saying little is not, but being fully engaged where it's messy is what Jesus did. And today we're going to get, a, we're, we're, we're going to get a little bit messy because I believe that Jesus, uh, or, you know, the, uh, Matthew uh, records this story because he wants us to understand that in order to reach people and to be somebody else's miracle, we've got to be in the mess. As the church in Canada, we've just come through the pandemic. And I love what Pastor Jarrett said. We were just talking and the church was, the church was not closed during the pandemic. The building was closed, but the people still needed to gather. And let me tell you something, if we think this is going to be the last time we're going to have something as a pandemic that happens worldwide, mind you, we're stupid and we're dumb. We need to know that the signs of the times are that there will be pestilences and wars and rumors of wars and all these things. And if we think gathering in a church is the only MO and coming to a building is the only way that we're powerful, then, 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 then we are disillusioned. Giving shouldn't go down when we don't show up. It shouldn't. Our commitment and our engagement should not waver in any way if we're not coming to the building. We can't allow to be we we cannot be allowed to be distracted by all the all the, you know all the little things. What's going to happen when we get locked down again? Now, I'm trying to put any kind of fear in anybody here. 
But when I read the newspaper and the G20 was just meeting recently and puts a whole pandemic strategy together and passports, I'm going, well, obviously they know something's going to be happening down the road. So we better have some prophetic foresight and some strategic foresight and get ready, not out of fear, but out of positioning ourselves to be ready. Know what I'm talking about? And the problem was, was the church wasn't ready when the pandemic happened, even though we knew stuff was coming along the way. Because we don't know why. This is warm. We have air conditioning. We have nice seats to sit in. We don't live in fear of our lives like the people of Iran do or in Iraq every single day or in China. It's comfortable. So we come and it's just nice. But what happens when we start to get persecuted now, y'all do know with this, new whole, with this uh, whole new conversion therapy a bill that's in Canada, you can't even pray for somebody. You can't even direct them to a counselor to have a conversation. You could be thrown in jail. Our country, Canada, glorious and free. Come on. So this is why we've got to be ready to be somebody's miracle. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 says this. Most intriguing, captivating, and confusing story all at once. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all of her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Hold on a second here. Jesus called this woman a dog. Let that just settle in for just one moment. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps from the, that fall beneath the master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great, your request is granted, and her daughter was instantly healed. I'm not sure about you, but for many years I read this passage and was quite confused. The majority of times that I heard it preached over my lifetime as a young man in the church and as a young adult and even in ministry was from the aspect of this woman, this Gentile woman who had great faith. She had such great faith that it just captivated Jesus that he had no choice but to give her this miracle. But it's very interesting because when you look at this passage, there is so much in this passage that we can draw from. And one of the things I love about the Bible, about a verse, about a scripture, about a passage like this, is it gives us the ability to look at it from a number of different angles to squeeze everything out that you can. Sort of like a, a tube of toothpaste. Oh, let me just say this. I'm just as mad as all of you about inflation. Look, I went to go buy a Hall's Yesterday, it was $2.19. Look, I ain't cheap, but I ain't paying $2.19 for one package. And then these little tubes of travel toothpaste, they charge $2. They used to be 79 cents. And here's the kicker about these tubes of toothpaste. Once you roll it and you try to squeeze it all out, there's still toothpaste in it. So do you know what I do now to save money? What every good, frugal, wise ethnic person does I get a pair of scissors I cut that baby open and I just squeeze that out 
that'll give you two or three more brushes. You know what I'm talking about? Do you know that adds up in the life of all the toothpaste you will ever buy? How about that bottle of cream? Do you know something? People like me, I, I can't do dollar store cream. I got to do good cream. And when you're pumping that thing and it ain't coming out and then you take off that lid and then you try to like dap that, dap that, dap that, you got to take some scissors, cut that baby open. There's another week of cream left in that. So don't be throwing that out. I'm telling you. But in this passage here, we see Jesus. But to really understand this passage here is this. I need to set this up. In the first 20 verses of Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is in Galilee. And we hear a story, or we, we, we learn in this story, that a bunch of religious leaders and Pharisees come to Jesus. They leave Jerusalem, and they come to Galilee to argue with Jesus. Now, understand this. For hundreds of years, since the days of Moses, they have had hundreds of written and oral laws and traditions. The Mosaic law is 613 laws. Now, I don't know about you, but I lived in a Guyanese home. There were more than 613 rules in my house. Even when I was of age, 21, 22, driving around, that car had to be in, in, the, in the driveway at midnight, regardless of where I was. I could be at young adults. I could be at church. I could be anywhere. That car, if it was not in the driveway there, you would lose it. And you know what my dad's like? Well, I guess you need to get a second job if you want to afford your own car. Look, my parents are immigrants, German and Guyanese. I just didn't get a car when I was 16 or 18 or 21. I, and am I saying that's bad? You don't want to, you know, bless your kids. That's okay. I have a car that we've been driving for the last seven years. My daughter's going to get it. It's you, she ain't getting new, but she'll get a car. But there were, but there were all these rules. And Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees over these rules. They come to Jesus and say, hey, how come your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat? Now, we know now with COVID and everything else, it's good to wash your hands and keep the germs off. But this had nothing to do with germs back in, the, back in this day. It had everything to do with about rules and tradition and laws and customary things that they had held for hundreds of years. And Jesus shows up on a scene. This sketchy rabbi shows up and begins to allow his disciples to not wash their hands. How do you think that went after hundreds of years of following tradition? This is why they left Jerusalem to come and argue with Jesus. So they're coming, and in, and in essence, in, the, in, the, in these 20 verses, you need to read this. Jesus essentially says to them, he says, hey, you guys are so hung, hung over and so, you know, so, uh, you know, focused and just so distracted on this whole issue of washing hands, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders were so, so particular and so religious about outer things. Jesus was beginning to move and help establish to help them understand that it wasn't the outer things that made you clean or got you saved or made you have a right relationship with God. But there was a new kingdom that's being established. There's a new covenant. There's a savior. There's a Messiah. There's an anointed one coming to give his life so that he could establish something new that was not based on old outer things, but based on the condition of somebody's heart. So Jesus sets this up, argues with them, tells them off, and then just pivots all of a sudden. 
leaves Galilee and begins to walk north to a region called Tyre and Sidon. Now, here's the deal with this. Jews don't walk north. They don't leave their neighborhood to go to a group of people that hate you and you hate them. For hundreds of years, there has been animosity and hatred and discrimination and conflict between Jews and Gentiles. And more so than anything, this woman in this passage is a Canaanite. The Canaanites were known as some of the most wicked and vile people in society throughout history during that time. They sacrificed their children to a god named Moloch in the fire. They indulged themselves in all kinds of wickedness. Their wickedness was so bad that if you go into the book of Genesis, there's a conversation that's happening. I believe it's in Genesis chapter 15, where God says that the time of the Amorites has not come yet. And it happens 400 years later when the children of Israel go into the promised land where they begin to dispose them and God's judgment reaches them. How many of you know that, you know, being wicked is not a good thing, but God having a little bit of patience for 400 years is a lot of patience. You see, I know there's a few family members you hope that God would take out right now. I Trust me, all of us have a family member. Some of you are praying and fasting right now that that family gathering at Christmas, that that one annoying family member who always stirs the pot won't show up. You're praying that they get COVID but don't die. You're praying that they get some other kind of, I've, tried, I've talked, trust me, I've talked to people about this that told me we're praying that person doesn't show up. Maybe that person needs to show up because they have an assignment with you. But all of us have that one family member or that friend. You're just like, that person always stirs the pot. They always cause some trouble. They're annoying. They rub people the wrong way. Anytime that they come, I have a cousin like that. I have a cousin, anytime we have a family party and he begins to drink a little bit too much because he's not a Christian, you know once he's over that line of drinking a little bit too much, the party is done. He's going to say things that he shouldn't be saying. You know, he's going to act in some ways. He's going to get on the dance floor and not dance normal. And I'm just going to leave it at that. (laughs) Stuff is going to begin to happen at that party where you're going to be like, okay, eight o'clock, I'm checking out now. Oh, but you just got here 15 minutes ago. It's okay. My night's done. I'm really, really tired. How many of you are looking forward to those parties and those family events? (laughs) All right. So Jesus here leaves Galilee and walks towards Tyre and Sidon. And here's the interesting thing that we don't know. Tyre is 55 kilometers away. So can you imagine Jesus had just finished arguing with the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and then he books it, begins to go north and says to the disciples, hey, come follow me. Can you imagine the disciples in the very first few footsteps would know that we're not going east, west, or south. We're going uh, north. We're going to somebody else's neighborhood that we don't normally go into. Can you just imagine them as Jesus is walking? Jesus, Jesus, uh, can we just redirect you this way? Can you just imagine the disciples trying to redirect Jesus and Jesus just shrugging them off? Can you just imagine them saying to Jesus, Jesus, do you not realize that those people hate us and, and we hate them? Yeah, 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 you know it's, it's, you know, it's all good. Just watch, just watch. Can you just imagine them saying, you know, Jesus, if we go there, you know something, we don't know what's gonna happen. You know, they, they could kill us. Once we arrive, they could do something. Yeah, yeah, you know, I get it. it you know, it's, it's cool. If you, you know, take up your cross and follow me, then, you know, that's okay. You, you'll give your life. Can you just imagine the conversations that Jesus is walking for 55 kilometers with 
these disciples. Think about it. It's not one kilometer. It's 55 kilometers. That's the tire. Now, Sidon is another 25 kilometers. Has Jesus ever taken you on a journey that you didn't want to go somewhere to? But there's a point involved here. So as Jesus is going along his way, I could just hear the disciples say, hey, Jesus, we don't hang with them people. We stay with our own kind. Oh, I've heard that in the church too, actually. Jesus walks towards Tyre. And he has an encounter with this Gentile woman, this Canaanite woman. And she comes to him and says, Jesus, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is possessed by a demon who, tor- who torments her severely. It was known in that time that if you were a Gentile, you were considered unclean anyway. But the Jews believed being a Gentile opened you up to the demonic because Gentiles served hundreds, if not thousands of gods. They would have gods in gods that were territorial gods that represented over their region and in their city and in their town. They would have a variety of gods in their temple. They would have gods in their home. So lo and behold, of course, your daughter is demon possessed as a result of you opening up yourself to worship all these other gods. And now Jesus is taking his disciples into enemy territory where can you imagine like, come on. Let, let's, let's be honest. You're walking into an area where you know by history and by culture and by tradition that those people got demons. All right? Now, I, I know some people in the church too, but just saying. Can you just imagine? I'll never forget the story when I was in Bible school. When I was in Bible school, you know, we, I had a couple friends that were so passionate about evangelism. They thought one night, we're going to go over to the psychic and we're going to go preach Jesus to the psychic. So, you know, they, you know, they go, they get all prayed up as our team prays up before they go to the streets, all that kind of stuff. And then they open the front door of the psychic, you know, uh, place, you know, wherever she's at. And nobody is there at the front or in the middle. And they hear a voice in the back saying, come forth, men of God, I've been waiting for you. <laughs> they looked at each other. And they're like, we're getting the hell out of here. (laughs) We're out of here. You've got to be ready and know. You've got to be ready. So Jesus has this encounter with this woman. And she's pleading and begging for a miracle. And what does Jesus do? In verse 23, it says that she came to Jesus and Jesus gave her no reply. Not even a word. Okay. Jesus, I'm a disciple. Help me understand where you're going with this. Number one, we just saw you tell off and tick off the Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders. Then all of a sudden you book it, you move north, you take us on a 55 kilometer walk. For no reason, this woman comes to you with with a need and you completely ignore her. What is up with Jesus? Can you imagine going to Jesus with the need that you have in your life? You're desperate for something to happen and you go to Jesus and let's just say, you know, uh, uh, Matthew, Matthew, you go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need a miracle in my life. And Jesus says to you, yo, this is a Middle Eastern gospel. We don't help black people from Africa. Sorry. 
Or can you imagine if you're, you know, Pastor JR, sorry, what's your, what's your first language? Spanish? Sorry, we only help people that speak Arabic and Hebrew and maybe a little bit of English can help you. Can you imagine if you're a woman and you go to Jesus and you ask for help and Jesus says to you, sorry, it's a male-dominated culture. I don't really help women. You know, or can you imagine, you know, going to Jesus and you're white and you go to Jesus and say, hey, I need a miracle. Jesus says, sorry. Out of context, you're in the Middle East. I ain't white. Neither is Christianity. Sorry, can't help you. I know some people think Jesus is white. He's not. Don't worry. We'll talk about this later, okay? I know some people think he's black too. I know some people think he's this or that or whatever. Jesus ignores this woman to the point that she got so desperate, she began to beg the disciples to do something. To the point where the disciples go to Jesus and they say to Jesus, Jesus, will you tell this woman to go away? You see, when someone's begging, they're desperate. They lose their, their senses in that moment and they will do anything in order to get what is desired and what they need in that moment. Think about a little child. If you've been a parent, you understand you're going through the cash checkout. They see a bag of Skittles or a bag of gummy bears or whatever it might be. They ask you for it or they grab it. They don't even ask you. They just grab it. They throw it in the cart. You put it in. And then this conversation ensues, uh, you know, over these Skittles or over these gummy bears. They want it. They have to have it. They begin to you tell them no they haven't had their breakfast they haven't had their lunch whatever it is and all of a sudden because you've said no they beg by having a tantrum they beg by screaming in the middle of of the grocery store whatever it might be this begging and this tantrum begins to happen as as a result of desperation for something they think that they need but this woman here has a very little bit a very legitimate need in her life her daughter is demon possessed and she knows that Jesus can set her free I don't have time to get into the earlier chapters of Luke where Gentiles were actually coming down into Jewish territory because they had heard about Jesus I believe this woman was part of the crowd but for the sake of this story we need to understand that Jesus has gone to a place where they hate and they hate you but yet Jesus is there with a purpose because he understands that there was a woman there that needs a miracle in her life. But yet, it's very confusing when you read this passage because she comes to Jesus. Jesus wouldn't have gone there if he didn't know that there was an assignment. Jesus wouldn't have gone there if he wasn't led by the Spirit. Obviously, the Spirit was leading him there because there was nothing that Jesus didn't do without the Spirit's leading. We understand, or I understand you've been doing this series on wind and fire and talking about the book of Acts. And yes, we need to be empowered. We need to be filled with the power of the Spirit. And we are filled with the power of the Spirit. We need it activated in our life because we have the Spirit spirit without measure and we know that Jesus is being led and yet it's quite confusing because he goes to a place that Jews don't go and this woman comes to him and he completely ignores her finally at the pleading and the begging of the disciples and I don't believe it was just the begging and the pleading of the disciples I believe because this woman was probably so out of sorts she was going around and even possibly trying to touch them the moment she touches the disciples they're unclean Can you imagine, you just finished all the purification rituals, everything else that you need to do, and this woman touches you, and now you can't celebrate Shabbat. Not a big deal. Family, you, you can't even go home. Family doesn't want to be around you. Friends don't want to be around you. You've got to dress differently as a sign of being unclean, and you are outside. 
You are now an outsider, not an insider. You know, this is the problem about church. People come into our church and they see a bunch of insiders. They come in and they wonder how they can go from the outside into the inside because the only people that greeted them at the door was the, or the greeters and the ushers and they come in and they sit for weeks and they wonder, is there any way that I can become an insider? I sat in a church in transition between moving from Pickering to Brampton for nine months and people shook my hands but never invited me to a, a breakfast, a dinner, or to an event, anything that the church was having. And it wasn't until the week that I was leaving that a girl walked up to me who was sitting on the other side, very, very large church, thousands of people, walked from the other side over and said, hey, I've noticed that you've been here for the last number of months. Can I invite you to a youth and young adult event that our church is doing? And guess what? I said yes. It was the first time in nine months that someone had invited me from the outside and in. And here's the funny thing, is when God began to uh, restore my life and put me back into some ministry circles, I happened to be in the Malvern area for a citywide thing called Tehila. I'm not sure if you remember Tehila. And the whole group of people that sat in front of me there were there. And uh, the pastor that was pastoring that movement invited me up to come and say, you know, just a few words and just to give a word of encouragement or whatever else. Guess what? Those eight or nine people that sat in front of me for nine months that never invited me to a thing or never even acknowledged me or asked my name, the fact that I had a, a microphone in my hand where I was like hey how you doing acting like you're my best friend I I I I gotta be honest with you I'm not always in the spirit ask my wife ask my wife I felt like doing like who are you you know I wanted to say a few other words come on help me out here Come on, if you're going to say it outside the four walls, just say it in the four. We, 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 you know, we're going to judge you. You're, you're real. Thank you. It's all good. But I thought to myself, it wasn't until I had a microphone in my hand that you saw that you thought that I was important. Jesus ignores this woman, and at the begging of, the, of, of, of her, the disciples, finally Jesus responds to her and says, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. Can you imagine? Jesus not only ignores this woman, she's begging, the disciples finally convince Jesus to answer, and then he has the audacity to say, I was only sent for people of Israel. Now, give me shade once. Don't give me shade twice. I'm going to cuss you out, Jesus, right here and now. Come on, some of you have had some cussing sessions with Jesus. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Miracle didn't happen. Something happened in your life, and you're like, Jesus, you are about to have it out. You get in your prayer room or in that room and, and you're like, let's go, Jesus, me and you. And you're like, come on, I'm mad at you. Come on, anybody ever mad at Jesus you know, besides me? Right? Come on, I'm a, you know, I'm a pastor. I've been in ministry. I've had some stuff happen to me in my life that I was just like, yo, that wasn't supposed to happen that way. I did this, I, this was good, and I get this. God, come on, help me out here. But Jesus ignores her and then he throws shade at her again. And then the woman replies and says, that's true, Lord. But even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall from beneath the master's table. Give me shade once, twice. And then Jesus says this, dear woman, Jesus said to her, your, your faith is, oh, sorry. And then uh, Jesus, she came and worshiped him after Jesus said to her about God's lost sheep, the people of Israel he had come to, to minister to. She worshiped him. I cuss. She worshiped. 
And then Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Can you see Jesus just escalating this conversation? I ignore you. Then I give you shade. Sorry, not here for you. Your type, your people, whatever. And then I'm going to call you a dog. You got to understand something. Back in those times, the Jews used a Greek word, kuon, to refer to the Gentiles as street dogs. They saw Jews, uh, Jews saw Gentiles as worthless, dirty, scavengers, street dogs, worthless, good-for-nothing scum of the earth. And in fact, they saw women, Gentiles, even that much lower. The equivalent derogatory term that we would use in our culture today would be the B word. So can you imagine this woman is coming to Jesus for a miracle, and every Jew that is with Jesus is thinking this woman is a B. Now, they probably didn't know that word then, but I'm trying to help you bring context. What would you do if you had a need in your life where you were approaching Jesus and knowing that everyone knew your history, they knew your past, they knew everything that you had done, but yet you walked into this church and there was an altar call for healing or deliverance or salvation, and you know the very same people that has known your life and seen your life, what would you do? What would they think? How would you come and press towards the front to receive something that God had for you? Many times we have to press through the criticisms, our past, our history, our own self-condemnation, the opinions of others, family, friends, whoever it might be, in order to press into anything. And in fact, I'm not sure if we've done a very good job in the church by saying, come to church, because those people out there aren't sure when they come in if they're going to be judged for what they've worn, for what they've said, for what they didn't do, for how they worshiped or they did worship. So why should they come? But this woman presents a case to us that she was desperate for a miracle. And when you're most desperate, you're willing to press through anything. We saw that with the woman with the issue of blood. And yet she presses through the mindsets and the criticisms and the derogatory environment and the racist and discriminatory and bigotry, you know, uh, you know the bigotry of, of the Jews to come and receive a miracle from Jesus. And yet Jesus ignores her. I'm repeating this again for a point because you need to get this. You need, he ignores her. Gives her shade, tells her that, she, that he only came for the Jews, and then calls her a dog. Jews saw Gentiles as worthless. But the Greek word that Jesus used in this passage translated is kunarian. Kunarian means pet dog. So catch this. Jesus used words. Jesus painted pictures. Jesus used imagery to get a point across. What Jesus was helping them to understand is 20 verses ago or 10 verses ago, we just had a conversation on outer purity about what makes us clean on the outside. Now I'm going to take you on a 55-kilometer journey to help you understand what inner clean inner cleanliness looks like and what you have thought it has been and how you have judged and misjudged and criticized and discriminated not only against this woman but against all these people is changing today what Jesus was saying in this moment this woman is loved she's affirmed she's accepted she's valued she has a place at my table at my kingdom in my house where everyone else wanted to probably kick her when she approached Jesus Jesus was saying to her Come take a seat. For those of you that have a pet, you know what I'm talking about. A pet dog. That pet dog loves you so much because you've cared for it. You have uh, loved it. You've fed it. You've given it water. You've taken it for walks. When that dog comes and sits next to you or on your lap or in your bed, that is a sign of endearment and infection. The reason why that this, that this woman responded in the way that she did is because she knew Jesus flipped the script and the narrative in that moment. And she knew that Jesus was not rejecting her. She knew that Jesus was affirming her. 
It was prophetic fulfillment that we see in Isaiah and Jeremiah and other passages that the Gentiles were about to receive salvation. Really what Jesus was doing in this moment, he was establishing something new in that moment and saying, a new door is about to open. A new door is opening, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. And you, my disciples and everyone else with me, you better get it because when I go, wait until you see the Gentiles come into the kingdom. And we saw that through the ministry of Paul. Jesus was setting some things up. So what does this passage teach us? Why is it important? What was Jesus? I believe Jesus trying to teach his disciples is this. Number one, I believe Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. What we can learn is this. Number one, loving the unlovable is not an option if you are a follower of me. Church, I don't believe we need to pray more or fast more for revival. We need a revival of love. Maybe when we stop fighting... It, you know, within, and when we, and we stop condemning out, and we just begin to love, maybe we're going to see the fruit of revival that we've been praying for for all these years. But I believe God is saying, hey, go up to prayer mountain, fast, pray, do all those things. But guess what? You don't know what love is. Why am I going to invite all these people I want to see in my kingdom come into your church? I'm not saying TCC, come into the church when we're just going to abuse them anyway. Now, I know that doesn't happen in every house and in every church and in every place, and I get it. We're dysfunctional, and that's okay. That's the way it's set up to be. We're dysfunctional. But I believe some of the miracles that we're believing for our own life are connected to the way that we love. It's not that we haven't fasted. It's not that we haven't prayed. It's that we don't know how to love. Loving the unlovable is not an option if you are a follower of Jesus. How do we see people that are at the end of uh, the Don Valley cutting off at Eglinton? How do we see people at the corner of the street? How do we see that woman that's selling herself or that man that's selling herself? How do we see the person that's still trying to figure out what gender they are or the way they dress? How do we judge those people? How do we embrace those people? Do we even invite them to our inner circle? The second thing is this, love is always moving to touch people's lives. It amazes me that Jesus would leave a safe place to go where it was a risk to love someone. Love is constantly moving. When the love of God is working in us and through us, it is constantly sensitive to the spirit as well and his leading to love people so that his love can be poured out on people. If I can have the worship team come up, please. The third thing is this, love provokes you to go from comfort to risk. Church, we're comfortable. We learned a very hard lesson prior to the pandemic that routine needs to change. So my question for you, church, are we back into routine? Are you back into routine? And when I say church, I'm not talking to the building. I'm talking to us collectively. Are we in routine? Why are we here? Why did I come? Just to have a nice worship set so I could feel good? And I get it. We all come for different reasons, and that's okay. Whatever your reason is, that is okay. God knows where you're at. But if we are a mature follower of Jesus, why are we here? Is it to feel good? Is it to meet friends? Is it to have a great worship experience? Is it to have community? All those things are great. But it moves us from comfort to risk. The fourth thing is this. Love, provoke, uh, love releases miracles. There is no place that Jesus went that miracles weren't released when his love and his compassion for people just oozed out of him. I'm going to take a risk and say this. Do we really need to bring in another guest speaker to TCC? Really? You know, a healing evangelist or an apostle or a prophet. They're great. And 
they have their place in the body. Please don't misunderstand me, all right? I was here for Apostle Tommy. He was amazing on Wednesday. Let me just say that. Because there's about activation, learning from people that have gone farther from you. There's a lot of things that we can learn. But my question to you is this. Are we putting our faith in the person? Or are we putting our faith in God? Love releases miracles everywhere Jesus went. Number five, love changes people's destiny. Church, we need to have a revolution of love. We've, we, have, we, have, we have got to allow the testing of our character to be refined, to produce love for each other and for the world. I'm tired of going to another conference. I'm tired of going to another meeting. I'm tired of going to another church service where God is not confronting me to bring transformation and change in my life and my heart. We need God to confront us to bring change. And if this church is going to reach a dying and hurting world and see people's destinies changed, love changes people's destiny. Let me tell you something. I believe that the fruit of this woman, the miracle of this woman, all of you and I sitting here today, is a result of that woman. One miracle spurred miracles, miracles, miracles. Some of you are the result of a ripple effect, of a miracle, of a praying grandparent, grand, a great grandfather, friend, neighbor, whatever it might be. Share this story before I wrap up and I'm, and I'm gonna challenge you. A few months ago, I was in Starbucks and I was there to pick up some drinks and it was packed, people sitting everywhere, people waiting for drinks in the lineup, people waiting for mobile orders. I placed a mobile order and, and I went in and, and I was just in that mood. I'm a very sociable person. I like people, I like hanging out with people, but that day I just wanted to get in and I wanted to get out, just get done. And I'm standing there and there's this woman just a little bit to my right over here and she's standing there and you know, she's a little bit cheery and she's trying to engage other people in conversation. And the first thing that went through my mind was, oh no, she's gonna talk to me. And, and, and I'm okay to talk to strangers. You know, so she said, hi, I said, hi. And I'm thinking, God, send her away, please, you know, send her away. And you know, she didn't look like she had it all together. And I'm just being real and honest with you, okay? being honest and transparent and she starts talking to me and I sort of move my body slightly to the left to just give her the hints I'm not interested in talking to you anybody ever done that before besides me All right. All right but she's still talking to me and then she just starts sharing about her life and just beginning to open up about her life in the middle of a crowded Starbucks who in their right mind opens up about the dark areas and problems in the middle of a crowd? I know a very desperate person who's looking for hope. And in my mind, I'm thinking, why is this woman talking to me? And in that moment, I'm thinking, God, please let these drinks just come a little faster. And finally my drinks come and I'm like, yes, I get out of jail card free. And as soon as I get the drinks, I feel the Holy Spirit saying, nope, not done. Okay. Obviously I've been ignoring you and haven't caught all the signals, Holy Spirit. 
of this woman engaging me and telling me about her life and this conversation. And you're telling me in this moment, not done. And in that moment, I got us okay. I'm gonna listen. It's so easy to become a Pharisee. It's so easy to not love the unlovable. It's so easy to not pay attention to other people when they're hurting because we're so distracted by our own life. And I began to talk to her. Sorry, I was in this emotional first service. And then she's telling me she's going for surgery. And at that moment I knew I need to pray for this woman. And I'm thinking maybe I can do it outside or maybe I can do it by the bathrooms, out of the crowd. I feel the Holy Spirit say, no, right here, right now. So I said to her, I forget her name. Thank you, Pastor. I said, I'm a pastor. She goes, oh, I knew there was something different about you. No, let me tell you something. It wasn't the pastor label. What did I say to you earlier? The Jesus inside of us either repels people or pulls people in. And I just said, hey, I feel in this moment that God wants you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loves you. I didn't feel to preach to her. I didn't feel to give her the, 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 the road of Romans and salvation. And I just said to her, in this busy Starbucks, I said, I'm just going to put my hand on your shoulder. Are you okay with that? She said, yeah. The moment I did that, she just began to weep. I felt nothing. I know many times we look for the feelings. But I knew in that moment, God was having an encounter with this Gentile woman in the middle of Starbucks. Because she was desperate like this woman in the book of Matthew. She had a need in her life that was probably even beyond what I could even express or what she could even tell or describe and even explain in a moment standing waiting for a latte. But in that moment, there was a need, there was a desperation. She needed to experience something in that moment that would change her life. times that I was, was I disobedient? How many times was I just so in tuned about my own life and my own things and my own schedule that I was, that other people weren't important enough to God or to me. They were important to God, but to me, to miss that I was an agent to bring somebody else's miracle to them. So church, I'm asking you these questions as we wrap up and I know I'm over time and I apologize, but I feel like I need to challenge you today because if you are going to step into 2023 and into a new season and consider something like Alpha as part of your culture and your DNA to invite people to a conversation. We must listen to the Holy Spirit. We must stop. We must be willing. We must obey to do something that is out of the normal if we want to see people come in. We want to see the Holy Spirit draw people. The Holy Spirit is drawing, but why do we stop the work? Are you loving the unlovable? Are you praying and asking Jesus who you could touch with his love? 
Are you willing to risk overcoming fear, comfort, complacency to share Jesus with someone? Are you willing to be someone's miracle? Church, why don't you stand with me in this place? Church, let me tell you something. With every head bowed, every eyes closed in this place, we cannot afford to miss this window post-pandemic. I don't even know if we're even post-pandemic. We cannot afford to miss this opportunity to be the church and be like Jesus and bring us out to a place that is a risk, that is scary, that is uh, places that we've never been to where we'll be hated, we'll be mocked, we'll be mistreated. But I guarantee you one miracle in one hostile crowd will change an entire city, change an entire community, change an entire nation. So TCC, are you willing to be that church? If you are, every head bowed, every eyes closed in this place, and you would say, yeah, I feel God's calling me, reinvigorating, calling me to a new assignment. I need to step up. I need to step up. Just lift your hand. I want to pray for you. Who are you in this place? Who are you in this place? Thank you, thank you, thank you. How many of you in this place, hands down, how many of you in this place would say, I feel just like this woman. I feel, I feel like I have been kicked, treated like trash, discriminated against, misused and abused by people and even the church. And right now I'm on the outskirts and I'm not sure if I should even really step in. But in this moment, because I see how Jesus uh, acts and how Jesus lives and what Jesus has done. And I believe that Toronto City Church is a safe place to come and experience him in all of my mess. And you would say, in this moment, I want to re-engage my faith. I want to re-engage my relationship with Jesus. And this moment, I want to have a miracle just like this woman. Who are you? Just lift your hand. If you're in this place, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands all over this place, thank you. Why don't we all lift our hands in this place? Holy Spirit in this place. Holy Spirit, come. Come in might and power. Rest on us, not just for our own benefit, but come and rest on us and move through us so that we would be that wind, so that we would be that fire, so that we would be that presence of love, the presence of change, the presence of the Almighty, the presence of Jesus in someone else's life. Holy Spirit, we give you this moment right now and say yes, 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 yes. Just tell him yes in your seats. Just tell him yes in your seats. Yes in your seats. Yes in your seats. Come on. Yes in your seats. This is not a whole, this is not a half-hearted yes. This is a whole-hearted yes. Yes, 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 yes. New season. I'm telling you, you become someone else's miracle. I guarantee you, God will begin to release miracles in your life. Get ready, get ready, get ready. There is a cry of my spirit pulling and drawing my people in. Pulling you in not only to refresh your own lives, but a willingness in all your imperfection 
as you wait for your perfection, but in your imperfection, willing to pour out in you and through you to release miracles, not only in you and your situation, but through others. Stop waiting. Stop hesitating. Stop pulling back. Let me pull you in this moment now. Will you come? Will you come? Will you come? Will you allow my spirit to pull you in and will you say yes? One last thing before I pass this over to Pastor JR. If that is you, come to the front. If you know coming to the altar is not as a spiritual thing of just, it is a prophetic act of stepping into something new. It's stepping in response. It is an act in response to what the Spirit is doing. If that is you and you say, but, you know, Jason, I'm ready to step into a new season. I'm ready to step into a new place in my life to share the good news of Jesus. I'm willing to step into a new anointing. I'm willing to step into a place that I believe will radically change my life, but be a miracle to somebody else. I'm ready right now. That's me. Just lift your hands, Pastor JR. Team, just sing something as the pastor comes.